So Lord willing, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit. Um, Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, that it um, discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, that it cuts and pierces deep. I pray that even this morning as we look to your word in Jeremiah and what the um, weeping prophet has to say to us, that we would be warned of the seriousness of sin, um, that we would be, um, we would stand in awe uh, of your judgment against it. Lord, I pray that we would run to your grace as a result, that we would flee and run to um, your sovereign purpose um, and how that reveals itself in the hope that we have in your son and the work that he has brought about in the new covenant. So we ask that you would bless this time. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Jeremiah, if you have the notes there, this is page seven. Jeremiah, date, author, setting, purpose, all that stuff. So Jeremiah is the longest book in terms of word count in the Old Testament. You're like, we're never going to make it. We barely made it through Isaiah in three weeks. Um, we're we're going to move fast. We, we have to. Um, and I think because we spent time in Isaiah, the stuff that you're going to see in Jeremiah, you're going to be like, oh, that sounds a lot like Isaiah. So that's why I wanted to lay that foundation is because if you, if you have a good handle on Isaiah, I think when you move through the rest of the prophets, they're essentially, they have their own nuances and their own, you know, they put their emphasis on a different syllable. But generally speaking, it's the same message, okay? So, Jeremiah, you could put it this way. Second Kings kind of gives you the history. This is kind of a cute way to remember this. Second Kings kind of gives you the history. Jeremiah gives you the message. And Lamentations gives you the emotions, okay? Maybe you're like, oh, wow, that's profound. Um, hopefully, we'll spend a little bit of time in Lamentations. I, I do not guarantee it at all. Um, but, yeah, authorship, Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah. Simple, straight, to the point. Um, he's ministering right before and at the beginning of exile. And this is something we're going to talk about later on. But exile is not just, um, you know, the southern kingdom, we say, oh, exiled 586. Yes and no. There's, there's actually a series of exiles. Hopefully we'll talk about this in Ezekiel, I think, because Ezekiel, it just makes more sense um, when we get there. Um, but Jeremiah is ministering, southern kingdom, right at the beginning, so before and during and after exile. Okay, so he's kind of the whole enchilada, okay? Um, he, he's talking about exile, future, present, and past, okay? He, he's, he's covering the whole thing. Um, you could say, I, I've already said this, that Jeremiah, we call him the weeping prophet, and, and that's, a good, uh, that's a good title. Jeremiah is a sad book. I don't know how else to say that. If Isaiah, you know, is, is preaching judgment and hope over and over and over, you could say Jeremiah is mainly preaching judgment, okay? Yes, there is hope. We're, we're definitely going to talk about that. But his emphasis is much more one of judgment, much more one of judgment that's coming on Israel. And you could say the theme verse, I think if the slides work, we should be able to follow along here. Your theme verse is kind of Jeremiah 1.10. So Jeremiah is notoriously hard to outline, and kind of for good reason. I mean, it's the longest book in the Bible, words-wise, so you would think, yeah, that's kind of hard to outline. Um, I was listening to um, my professor, Abner Chow, at at TMU, and he was talking about how at the seminary, he just made fun of them for years and years and years because their outline of the book was chapter 1, Jeremiah's call, and then chapters 1, or excuse me, 2 to 51, and it's like Jeremiah's message, and then Jeremiah 52, conclusion. So like their outline was like intro, entire book, last chapter, and he was like, that is horrible. Um, 
And it's like, yeah, but, but it's a hard book to outline. What I would say is Jeremiah 1.10 is kind of the th- Jeremiah's thesis statement, okay? So you're going to see these words, especially we're going to see them this morning. Um, th- this is um, God saying, Jeremiah, here's what, what your message is going to be. Here's going to be your ministry. Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant, okay? So how I've kind of broken this up, and again, it's not perfect, but if it, if it helps, it helps. If not, I'm sorry. Um, but you kind of have point one, pluck up, overthrow. The first half of the book, the emphasis is more of destruction, that emphasis of, right, destroy, overthrow. And then the second half of the book has more of an emphasis on to build and to plant, kind of like restoration, okay? That's big picture where we're going, okay? But Jeremiah 1.10, that's the theme verse. This is God's plan. Jeremiah is preaching to people, don't resist God's plan. You actually have to go through judgment because of your sin, but there's hope on the other side. Um, You need to submit to God's plan. Um, It it explains how God's people are to embrace suffering, okay? And and Lamentations is especially so. Um, So we're going to jump in because we have to. Uh, Jeremiah 1, again, I said this week one, but it it bears mention saying again, you really need to have your Bible open. Because I'm going to be moving fast, and you know, maybe, maybe what you can also do is maybe, okay, write down that verse on your notes and come back to it later. This is a class that we're trying to equip you guys to study the Bible well, right? It, I, I can't give you everything on Jeremiah. It might be fun to do an equipment error class maybe later on, on like Ezekiel um, or Jeremiah, because they're huge books, and they're really hard to understand. Um, and so maybe that would be good, where we can go through it line by line. But just the nature of this class, that's not what we're doing. So that's what those notes are for. Write down some of those verses and we'll come back to it. So Jeremiah 1.10, that, that's his calling, right? He says earlier in verse 8, uh, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, he says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. So early on, already at the beginning of the book, God has told Jeremiah, look, a bunch of bad stuff is going to happen, but I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to deliver you, okay? So in one sense, that's a comfort. Okay, I'm going to live, but also what? It's also kind of sad because he's going to go through a bunch of what? Bad stuff, right? So that's where we can kind of see this already from the beginning, why he's known as the weeping prophet. Because God says, I'm going to sustain you, I'm going to keep you alive, but you're going to also experience and see all of the sin and also this this sad judgment, ultimately, that the Lord is going to bring. You see in verse 14, this is chapter 1, verse 14, Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. He's talking about Babylon. Babylon is going to come, and they're going to judge you. They're the instrument of my judgment. They're going to come out of the north. And you see that again in chapter 6 as well. So hopefully we'll be able to look at that. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is kind of why judgment is coming. Why judgment is coming. Ultimately, you can boil it down because of sin. Sin. Judgment is coming because of their sin. You see in chapter 2, verse 3, Israel was holy to the Lord. There was a good time where they were sanctified, holy to the Lord. But judgment is coming because of their sin. You see this in chapter 2, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. Chapter 2, verse 6. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? So kind of central to their rebuke at the very beginning is what? They forgot the Exodus. They forgot the Exodus. And that's where, if you remember Exodus 3, 
um, 14 to 15, that's where God reveals his name, who he is. They forgot who he was. They forgot their God. Chapter 2, verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Later on in chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8, the prophets prophesied by Baal and went after uh, things that did not profit. We come down to, um, let me see, I have it there, yeah. Chapter 2, verse 12, be appalled, O heavens. Okay, does anyone remember, does that sound familiar? Anyone? This is like three weeks ago now. Remember how Isaiah starts? Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. And he's going back to the covenant in in, uh, Deuteronomy. And he's saying, these are the witnesses to the party. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, in Deuteronomy. Isaiah picks that up and says, hey, you guys transgressed the covenant. What's Jeremiah doing? Same thing. Same thing. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Okay, so here's, if if you want to see chapter 2, the central rebuke for why they will be judged. Here's the two evils, okay? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So you see, their sin was twofold. And this is actually really interesting because it's, this is actually kind of a zooming in on a theology of sin. Like, this is always how sin works. It's not only in what we're rejecting, but also what we're accepting. All of our sin is like that. It's the same thing with Israel. They've committed two evils. They have rejected Yahweh. They, they've, they've forsaken him, forgot about him, cast him totally aside. And if that wasn't bad enough, what else do they do? They pewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they've rejected God, and they've accepted and embraced evil, evil, wicked gods and practices. And you see this throughout Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 7, he talks about how um, they were sacrificing their children to pagan gods, throwing them into the fire. And, and, and it's striking. What God says is, I did not command this, nor did this even come into my mind. Like the evil is so wicked that Yahweh's like, I, 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 I don't even, it doesn't even enter into my mind that you would do that. So that is Israel's sin. It's twofold. You guys see that? Rejected Yahweh and accepted other things, okay? That's central to their rebuke. So that's chapter 2. You move on, verse um, 18 and 19. I think you kind of see this, um, right? They've been drinking the waters of the Nile. I think he's talking symbolically here for embracing uh, pagan gods, right? And their practices, drinking the water of the Euphrates, the Assyrians, worshiping their gods. Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me, write this down, underline it, something like that. The fear of me is not in you. The fear of God is not in them. Remember that for later. Save that, save that. The fear of God is not in them. You see in chapter 3, um, throughout this, and, and I mean, we will, well, we, we might not see this in Ezekiel because I might skip over it a little bit, but there's a lot of like PG-13 and R-rated um, imagery for sin, especially in Jeremiah, and especially in Ezekiel, okay? Um, one, it shows you that the Bible is not just a perfect picture where everything's hunky-dory and everything's fine. No, it actually deals with the severity and wickedness of sin, okay? It is actually evil, and it shows the depths of those evils, okay? Um, so just, just a forewarning. But, but in chapter 3, he compares Israel. He says, 
Chapter 3, verse 1, you have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me? They are incredibly wicked, and he compares their sin, a sexual metaphor of whoredom, all throughout Jeremiah and especially Ezekiel. And you see just the depth of their sins. You see, um, well, we'll actually, I actually need to talk about this because it's important. Um, chapter 3, verse 15. So even, even in light of this, some people, you know, they'll just emphasize judgment in Jeremiah. Well, that's true, but also early on there's actually restoration and hope. There actually is. You see this in chapter 3, verse 15. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land. What does that sound like to anyone? Somebody. Genesis, right? Very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. What's Jeremiah picking up on? That same language. And he's saying God's creational agenda is still what? That's still current. That's still going to happen. In fact, he's talking about this is going to happen, multiplied and been fruitful in those lands, declares the Lord. They shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. So he's saying there's going to come a day when the nation of Israel has been so fruitful and so multiplied in the land that the ark of the covenant, they're not going to remember it, right? You know, like Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's not going to happen. We're done with the covenant. We ain't going to watch that movie anymore. I'm kind of joking. But we're not going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant anymore. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. Whoa, okay, this picks up a lot on what Isaiah was saying, right? So not only for Israel, but also for all the nations. The Gentiles will also come, and in Jerusalem... Who's going to be on the throne there? The Lord. Yeah, he's going to be there. They're no more stubbornly going to follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel. The divided kingdom will be united. Um, together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. So all these covenant promises of land, seed, blessing, um, a, a, a Davidic descendant, we're going to see that again, reigning on the throne. It's still... Plan A. God has no plan B where he's like, whoops, i got to do something else now. You guys, you guys tracking with me? That same agenda that's established clearly in the covenants is still going through. There is hope, but judgment is going to come first. All right, um, let's keep going here. Chapter 4, no, we'll skip it. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. I don't know if I have this verse. I don't think I do. We'll come to it. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, God says to Jeremiah, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth. So he's saying, go throughout the land, see if you can find one righteous person. Like, like literally just one. Not two, just one. Okay, does this kind of remind anyone, maybe in Genesis... There's a wicked city, lots of wickedness. Anyone? Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. And, and, and if you remember that, is it's like, hey, you know, if you can find, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's like, hey, if you can find 30, will you spare it? Well, 20, 10. So in Sodom and Gomorrah, he actually finds Lot and his family, four people, right? In Jeremiah, he can't even find one. So who's more sinful than Sodom and Gomorrah? What city here? 
Jerusalem, Israel. The, the depth of their depravity is such to the point that Jeremiah can't find even one righteous person. They are a wicked, a sinful people. If you come over to chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Right? We see that, that spiritual blindness. If you guys remember Isaiah 6, actually, Isaiah's message is what? You're going to preach judgment. Your message is actually going to blind people to where that they're not going to be able to see. And here in Jeremiah, that Isaiah's message has worked. The people are blind. They cannot see. And so judgment is coming. You see in chapter 6, verse 1, for disaster looms out of the north, great destruction. He's talking about Babylon. Babylon is coming. They will surely judge. Chapter 7, flip over. Chapter 7, verse 4. If you guys remember um, from Mike's sermon, he mentioned how you know, it's rare in the Old Testament that you'll see you know, a repetition of something three times, right? Holy, holy, holy. Well, here's one of those other usages. It's in a little bit of a different context. Chapter 7, verse 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. And so what the people are saying, it's a catchphrase of security. Hey, God's not going to judge us. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. We're fine. And Jeremiah is saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because of your sin, you are going to be judged. Do not trust in these deceptive words. Amend your ways and your deeds. Turn from your sin. They're saying, God would never judge us. And God is saying, yes, judgment is coming. And so chapter 7 through, um, let's just say chapter 12. Chapter 7 through chapter 12 is basically why judgment is coming. Why judgment is coming. Why God is going to judge Israel. And chapter 11 sums this up really, really well. You even see this if you have the, the ESV, you know, chapter headings, chapter 11. The broken covenant. They broke the covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, blessings for obedience, curses for what? Disobedience. They did not obey. Curses are coming. Judgment is coming. And so that's essentially, there's, again, we just don't have time. There's some amazing stuff, especially in chapter 11 um, and through chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapters 13 and 19 are essentially a series of signs, okay, if you want to write that down. 13 and 19, a series of signs. You have a ruined um, loincloth, undergarments, kind of some interesting stuff in there. Um, chapter 15, we're just, we're just passing over that one, nothing to see here. Um, chapter 15, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, then the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Whoa, not even Moses and Samuel could intercede for these people. Ezekiel's going to do something similar in Ezekiel 14. This is the depth of their sin. No man can intercede for them. Not even their heroes, we could say. Moses and Samuel, nope. Even if it was for them, I would not turn from judging. You see um, more judgment, um, but in light of this, as I've said, you see, oh, did I put a wrong slide in there? No, I did. Yeah, I did. That's all right. That was just Jeremiah 11. You can write this down. Jeremiah 16, 14. And Jeremiah 23, 7 are kind of parallel passages. 
I wasn't sure how to put this in, so I just put them both up there. They're kind of parallel passages of restoration hope that the Lord will restore. Just listen to this. Jeremiah 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming. If you guys remember, all throughout the Old Testament in Isaiah, you see what? It shall come to pass in the latter days. Behold, days are coming. Behold, on the other side of judgment, this will come to pass, declares the Lord. When it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. So what's he saying there? He's talking about the first exodus. He's talking about the first exodus and saying, look, there's going to come a day where we're not even going to talk about the first exodus because there's going to be a what? A second exodus. There's going to be a second exodus for God's people. And Jeremiah 23 says the same thing. Behold, days are coming. On the other side of God's judgment, there is hope. But there is hope. But God must judge. The people have a heart problem. In chapter 17, verse 1, he writes, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. And what does that make you think of? Engraved on a tablet. What? Ten Commandments, right? What do they have engraved on their heart? Not the Ten Commandments, but sin. At, at the heart issue of Israel is their heart. That's the problem. They have a sin issue in their heart. They need someone to change and fix their hearts. And actually, Deuteronomy 30 actually already holds out that hope, that there is coming a day when God will work in the heart. And the prophets are picking up on that, especially in the New Covenant, preview of future coming attractions, Jeremiah 31, where God will work on the heart. That's still coming. But they have a sin issue of the heart. That's 17 verse 1. 17 verse 24, I thought this was interesting as I was reading through. He says, but if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burdens by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. He's saying, look, Israel, if you can keep the Sabbath one time. Now, here's the thing. What do you do on the Sabbath? Literally nothing, right? Like, do nothing? He's like, hey, if you guys can do nothing for one day, I won't judge you. They can't even do nothing. Like, they have to do something. I, I just thought that was kind of, I don't know, I thought it was kind of funny. That's the depth of their sin. Even when God says do nothing, they do something. You had one job and you failed, right? They, they just, they cannot get it. Jeremiah 20 through 23. So if you have 7 to 12 is kind of why judgment is coming. 13 and 19 is kind of the series of signs of the coming judgment. Chapters 20 to 23, you could say is God condemning the prophets, the priests, and the kings of Israel. Prophet priest, and king. He's condemning all three of those. And there's some amazing stuff in here that we're, we just don't have time. I encourage you to go back to read, especially Jeremiah 23. But Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. You know, that branch language. What book does that remind you of? Like one maybe we just studied. Isaiah. It's all over in there, right? Branch, one that comes out of the, the stump of Jesse, the hacked-down forest of Israel. There's a root, a branch. Well, here it is. I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and prosper and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. The, the divided kingdom will be brought back together. 
and this is his name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. So a descendant of David, but his name is also Yahweh, our righteousness. Probably not going to be some ordinary dude, right? Maybe this is God with us, Emmanuel, that uh, Isaiah was speaking of. So there is hope. He will pluck up and overthrow. There is destruction, but there is also going to be hope. Jeremiah 24. So we're turning the page here. Point two, to build and to plant. To build and to plant. And the reason why is because we see that right here in this passage. Jeremiah 24. And look at the imagery that he's using. Like these good figs. There was a lot of vine and fig talk in Isaiah, right? You guys remember that? Jeremiah is using that same illustration. Like these good figs. So I will regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away from this place, the land of the Chaldeans, there's the Babylonians, another name, I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. Okay, so there's going to be judgment, but God is going to bring some back. He, and extended in this, there's good, fig, good figs and bad figs. So there's bad figs that are worthless, they're going to be judged. That's the vast majority of Israel. But there's going to be some, some good figs that he's going to bring back. And look at this, I will give them a heart. To know that I am the Lord. Oh, the solution to all their problems. God is going to bring about that work. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. Leviticus 26.12. Write that down. Leviticus 26.12. You see that all throughout the Old Testament, but particularly there, where God's saying, in the Old Covenant, I will bless you if you will obey me, and I, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Well, here... That's actually going to be a reality because God is going to give them a new heart such that they can be his people and he can dwell among them. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. So there's this glorious hope these, for these good figs. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be a remnant. He's going to bring them back to the land and give them a new heart. And this is kind of like, remember the Sky Monster principle? Remember Sky Monster, our friend from a couple weeks ago, right? So... Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you missed out, okay? Um, Go back and listen, week two. Sky monster principle. It ain't over till it's over. So when we see in this prophecy, what? I will give them a new heart, and they're also going to be in the land. Okay, if we see he's given them a new heart, but they're also not in the land, is the prophecy done? Is it fulfilled? No. Sky monster came, and he destroyed half the ship, but half the ship's still there. And the prophecy said, hey, I'm going to totally destroy this ship. Well, if he ain't totally destroyed the ship, then the prophecy ain't done. Same thing here. That's your sky monster principle right there. So for those of you who are in the inside, can understand sky monster. Okay, so we're moving on. Jeremiah 25. (coughs) Excuse me, Jeremiah 25. Verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's actually earlier right in chapter 9 where the Lord actually calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Okay? Even a pagan king, God is going to use to his pleasure. Right? He's my servant. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, for their iniquity, declares the Lord. Jump down to verse 14. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them. So God's going to use Babylon, but then what? He's going to destroy Babylon. He's going to, there's someone else. By the way, when you come to the book of Daniel, this is where Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, and he's like, whoa, 70 years are almost up. 70 years of captivity are almost up. 
what's next? This is where he's getting that from, the book of Jeremiah. We'll hopefully spend more time on that when we get to um, Daniel. So they will be exiled uh, for seven years in Babylon. Babylon's going to be punished. Jeremiah 29. Um, this is, you know, God's letter, you could say, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then every single person's favorite verse ever, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, that future and a hope is on the other side of what? Judgment in 70 not so good years, right? If that's God's plan for you, it might not be super great for right now, right? And he's talking about Israel, not talking about you. But generally speaking, yes, we can apply that verse. I'm not going to talk about that. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, book of consolation. This is an amazing, amazing passage. Jeremiah 30, 31, 32, and 33. Amazing chapters. Amazing chapters. There is, there is hope. You see Jeremiah, it, it chops off on the back screen, but thankfully you guys can still see it. Jeremiah 30, verse 3, for behold, days are coming. It's that same introductory formula we've seen over and over. When I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, both northern and southern kingdoms, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. You jump down to verse 9, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. So you kind of see, like, David is kind of on equal level with who? In that verse, like, like with God, right? God and David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. Well, David is long dead, right? So he's got to be talking about someone else. There's someone else coming. Jump down to Jeremiah 31, verse 28. Jeremiah 31, verse 28. <clears throat> you see in 27, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass, and listen to these words, as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. What does that sound like? The, the very beginning of the book, right? Where, where, he's, where God is saying, Jeremiah, here's your message. One of destruction, one of breaking down, tearing down, destruction, but also to build and to plant. So Jeremiah is going, hey, here's my thesis statement, and here is how that is going to happen, to build and to plant, and this is when we get into the new covenant, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, like I said, you have no excuse, you only have to memorize one number, 31, and then just say it twice, Jeremiah 31, 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will make a new covenant, it's the only place in the Old Testament where it is specifically called the new covenant, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, not like the old covenant, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's no fault with him. He was faithful. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. On the other side of judgment, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, Leviticus 26, 12. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So, I mean, we could spend a whole equipping hour just on this passage. But you see this promise of restoration. There's going to be a united kingdom. 
the law of God is going to be on their hearts. There's going to be forgiveness of sin. The whole community will know the Lord. So this is just kind of a rabbit trail, but it's kind of important. This is actually one of the big differences, generally speaking, between Baptists and Presbyterians is our understanding of the new covenant is that Presbyterians will say, just like with Israel was a mixed community, right? So you had, so let's just say you have Israel, okay? You've got a bunch of people and some of them are following the Lord. But the, but the children, this is a sign of circumcision. Just because you're circumcised doesn't mean you're a, a devout follower of Yahweh, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean you're, you're following him. There's a mixed community. Some people follow the Lord and some didn't, okay? Now, I would interpret the new covenant this way because to me, it is incredibly clear. In the new covenant, the whole community is going to be regenerate. The whole community. Like, look at verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and saying, hey, know the Lord. You need to know him. For they shall all know me. The entire new covenant community, from the least of them to the greatest, will have their sins forgiven. And I will remember their sin no more. This is why we are um, believers' baptism. The sign of the new covenant would be baptism. Yes. <coughs> you had to go there. Um, Yes, we will talk about that in later weeks. But yes, in context here, the new covenant is with who? The house of Israel and the house of Judah, right? I'm not just whipping that out of the nowhere. That's literally what 31.31 says. Who's the new covenant with? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. But I would make the argument, and especially what we saw in Isaiah, is that blessing for Israel also means blessings for who? The Gentiles, all, all the nations. You saw that very clearly in Isaiah where when the new covenant comes, who, it will be not just for Israel, but also for the Gentiles. That through Israel, God is going to bless all the nations, okay? So yeah, that, like I said, how we participate as a church in the new covenant is I think one of the most, one of the most difficult issues hermeneutically for how we understand it. Um, and so Lord willing, we'll spend some time in the next couple of weeks. But yes, the new covenant is glorious. We gotta move on. Jeremiah 32 this is, I actually have to talk about this. Jeremiah 30, just stay in the same place. Jeremiah 31, 38. Jeremiah 31, 38. Actually, you know what? Go back even further because this is good. Jeremiah 31, 35. This is still in the context of the new covenant. And if there's a reason why we die on the hill of God still has a future for national epic Israel, I would argue it actually comes from this verse, for me at least. Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Okay, so if you can get rid of the day, you can get rid of the night, you can get rid of the ocean. Like, if you can literally, like, get rid of the whole world, then I will forget about Israel, is what God says. Did the sun rise this morning? Did it set last night? Are the oceans still there? Actually, I haven't seen them, but I'm assuming they're still there. Like, I didn't see them yesterday, right? So, I'm reading this passage, and I'm going, okay. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured, we haven't done that, and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, we still haven't done that, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Okay, I, he's, he's probably not going to cast them off, is what I'm going to take from that verse. Okay? Keep reading, Jeremiah 31, 38. Behold, the days are coming. It's that same introductory formula for the new covenant. And look at what he says, declares the Lord. When the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord, from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, 
and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill uh, Gareb, and shall return to Goa. Come down to the end of verse 40. Shall not be plucked up, plucked up or overthrown anymore. Those same key words. What's he talking about? He's talking about the restoration of the city, Jerusalem. What's it in context with? The new covenant. So part of the new covenant is God done with the city, and is he done with the land? No. It's actually part of the new covenant there, okay? And then keep reading. Now we're finally moving on. Jeremiah 32, he buys a field, okay? Think about this. Your city is under siege, okay? You are all going to die. Like, imagine Bakersfield just got, you know, like, surrounded by, I don't know, some foreign invader. We're all dying. It's a wonderful picture, um, right? You know, it's horrible, right? We're all dying. We're, we're laying siege. Do you think real estate is going to be up or down? Way down. Dirt cheap. Because no one's buying land when everyone's dying. It's like, who cares? It's like, Jeremiah, what, what, what are you doing? Why are you buying land? Why do you guys think Jeremiah is buying land? What, what's, what's he symbolizing? Restoration. God's not done with the land. He's going to bring his people back. That's what's going on in Jeremiah 32. You keep going, Jeremiah 32. I think I have this, 36. Uh, where am I? Yes. Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries. This is still in this context of, of restoration. To which I drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and in my great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. I think he's talking about the same new covenant. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Remember Jeremiah 2? The fear of me is not in them. Okay, well, there's coming a day when God will work the new covenant in the house of Israel where they will fear him, where they will fear him. There's some amazing good stuff. Again, just go back, meditate on these passages. Jeremiah 33, verse 19. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? Yep. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night. This is pretty much an echo of the passage I already read. Then also my covenant with David, okay, but he's tying in the Davidic covenant, my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. This is also important for Ezekiel. We're probably not going to be able to talk much about it. But on the other side of judgment, with restoration, there's going to be who ministering? Levitical priests. There's going to be priests. And so when we get to Ezekiel 40 to 48, we shouldn't be like, whoa, what's going on here? Temple, priests, ministering, offering, sacrifices, what in the world? Jeremiah's actually already talked about it. There's going to be Levitical priests serving as ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David. What does that sound like? What covenant? Abrahamic, right? Sand of the sea, stars above. So you see these covenants all merging together here. And the Levitical priests who minister to me. Glorious, glorious promises. Okay, this is... I got I to gotta jump forward now, but that's okay. Jeremiah 34 to 40, just put this, it's bad. It's bad in Israel. Not good, no bueno. No good. Jeremiah 34 to 40 is not good. Jeremiah 39 is the fall of Jerusalem. It's actually when um, old Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and all his army, they lay siege to it, and there's judgment. 
Okay. Now, Jeremiah 40. This is amazing, too. Jeremiah 40. Um, the Babylonians treat Jeremiah really well, and they actually give him a choice. They're like, hey, do you want to stay here, or do you want to come back to Babylon with us? And it's actually amazing. I, I thought this was profound. The captain of the guard, this is a pagan. A, a pagan guard of Babylon says this. Yahweh, your, this is Jeremiah 40, verse 2, by the way, sorry. Jeremiah 40, verse 2. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, Yahweh, your God, pronounced this disaster against this place. Yahweh has brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against Yahweh and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. It's like, man, this guy has it more figured out than Israel. He, he actually gets what happened here, okay? And so, as, as God says in the beginning of Jeremiah, I'm going to sustain you, sure enough. When everyone is dying, when death and destruction are going on, the Lord sustains Jeremiah. Here we're going to jump forward, chapter 42. Chapter 42. So Jeremiah stays behind. He stays behind in Israel. We've got to wrap things up pretty quick here. Jeremiah stays behind in Israel. And the people say, the people, the remaining people of Israel say, hey, tell us what to do and we'll do it. You see this? Jeremiah 42 verse 3. Thus says the Lord your, your God. Or, sorry, it's chopped off up there. That the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. And we'll do it. Verse 5. They said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. You guys see that? The remaining people, they're like, Jeremiah, tell us what to do and we're going to do it. Okay? I found this humorous and also very sad. Chapter 42. Um, let's 10, 10 and 14. I think I have this up here. If you remain in this land, this is 42 verse 10, if you remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you, not pluck you up, for I will relent of the disaster I did to you. Sounds like the thesis verse, Jeremiah 1.10, right? Verse 13, but if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God and saying, no, we're going to go to the land of Egypt, then all this bad stuff is going to happen. So, so Jeremiah's like, look, you guys literally have one job. You have one job. You know those memes? Like, you had one job. This is where it came from. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. But... It's basically the same thing. You have one job. Just stay there. And just, just don't go to Egypt. Just stay where you are and don't go to Egypt. What do you guys think is going to happen? We've, we've read this story before, right? What do they do? Jeremiah 43, verse 1. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the, to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent to them, end of verse 2, you are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there, and then they go to Egypt, and then they all die. It's like, man, it's almost like sin is engraved on the tablet of their heart, right? They just don't get it, and that is why the glories of the new covenant is so great, because it actually enables God's people to follow him. So those last few chapters, you can read it, um, you see these oracles again, that judgment is coming for all the nations. It's actually kind of ironic in Jeremiah 50, I think. Jeremiah 50, the judgment is coming on Babylon. Jeremiah 50, verse 3, for out of the north, a nation has come up against her. Remember Jeremiah 1? A nation from the north is coming to judge Israel. He's talking about Babylon. Well, now in Jeremiah 50, he's talking about Babylon, and he's saying what? A nation from the north is going to come. They can't escape God's judgment either. 
And so I think that might be the end, yeah. Um, pay no attention. Um, yeah, that's Jeremiah, and you're like, wow, we have no time, and we need to talk about Lamentations. Um, that's true. So Lamentations, I'm going to be very, very fast. I know I'm holding you guys, but hopefully it helps a little bit. Jer- Lamentations, written by Jeremiah. You could just say this. It's a poetic response to the destruction of Jerusalem. It's an acrostic. So in other words, the, the, our English translations actually do a really good job. Chapter 1, 22 verses. Chapter 2, 22 verses. Chapter 3, 66 verses. And then 3 and 4, back to 22. So chapters 1 and 2 and 4 go like this. The first verse starts at the letter A. okay, And then verse 2, letter B. And then C, obviously not in English, but you know what I'm talking about in Hebrew, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then we just keep singing, okay? Chapters 1 and 2. When you get to chapter 3, this is the height of Lamentations. Lamentations 3. Because those go, instead of A, B, C, it goes A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 D, D, D. You guys tracking with me? So the peak of Lamentations is Lamentations 3. And in Lamentations 3, I'll just read it real quick. That's when he talks about he's looking at all the destruction, the utter desolation that has come upon Jerusalem. And he says this, but this I call to mind. This is Jeremiah 3, or excuse me, Lamentations 3, verse 21. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's where we get the great is your faithfulness from verse 32. Actually, 31, the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And that word steadfast love is a very important word in Hebrew called hesed, H-E-S-E-D, if you just want to write that down. Always referring to God's covenant-keeping faithful love. God is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his promises. And so Lamentations is real. I mean, again, there's some very serious, dark language in there about atrocities of sin, but Lamentations really helps, it helps us, how do we process grief biblically? You could say that. Lamentations teaches us how to process grief biblically. The book ends with a prayer that God can and will turn it all around, Lamentations 5. So God is faithful when everything's going well and when everything's going bad. From our point of view, God is still faithful. Okay, you have some Theological themes and significance there, that's for your own. I mean, I knew we wouldn't have time to talk about this, and that's okay. Um, But as you're reading through Jeremiah, hopefully you now have something to, you know, hang your jacket on is what I always say. Like, you're reading through Jeremiah, it's like, okay, I know where this book is going. So read it, spend some time, meditate on it, chew on it. Um, Be amazed at God's forgiving love towards wicked sinners like us. And so, Jeremiah. All right. And Lamentations, we talked about that. Next week, Ezekiel. Which you're like, okay, we got through Jeremiah. We can do this. We can do this, you guys. Uh, Ezekiel is next level, man. It is, it is, it is interesting. I'll just put, if you've never read Ezekiel, go read the first chapter. I mean, if you can keep reading, great. But go read the first chapter, and you'll be like, okay, interesting. Okay. But Ezekiel is amazing, dealing with God's presence with His people. So you're dismissed. Ezekiel next week. <laughs>